the innovation spirit is here. We just have to find a way to continue to assist and propel it forward. Welcome back to another episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. My name is Landon. This podcast is edited by Jake Bolin. Our first sponsor today is Il Primo Espresso Cafe. Il Primo is the oldest coffee shop in town and one of our favorites. They now have a few items from their fall menu out, like the pumpkin spice latte with pumpkin cold foam or the apple crisp latte with apple, brown sugar, and cinnamon sprinkles on top. Stop by Il Primo today and try out their new fall menu. Our next sponsor is Erica with Midwest Fresh Homes. The market has been really hot for houses the last few months, but it's starting to cool off a bit. But that doesn't mean you can't get a great deal whether you're buying or selling a home. Call Erica with Midwest Fresh Homes today to see how she can help you get the best deal on a home. Today's guest is Rob Gerlock. Rob is the Executive Director of Tech Transfer and Commercialization at Wichita State. Rob basically helps take technology that is being created and innovated by students, faculty, and the community and turn it into products and services that can help make a real impact in people's lives. We talk all about Rob's background, what he does on a day-to-day basis, some examples of IP and things going on at Wichita State, and what Wichita needs to continue to head in the right direction of innovation. Enjoy my conversation with Rob Gerlock. All right. I'm here with Rob Gerlach. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. I've been wanting to get you on for a while, um, and it just seemed easy to head over on the lunch break and get you on. So can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Rob Gerlach. I'm the Executive Director of Tech Transfer and Commercialization at Wichita State University. And that's really a ridiculously long title. (laughs) Uh, So I try to break it down. I, I still don't think my parents know what I do. So I try to break it down is... What do we talk about when we mean tech transfer and commercialization? What it is is that we've got all these amazing technologies that are being created by faculty and staff and students here at Wichita State University. My office's role is to find a way to get them off the campus and create new products and services that can actually impact people's lives. So what we're always angling to do is push new products, new services out that can impact positively people's lives because that really helps with what we are trying to do as a mission at Wichita State University. Mm -hmm. You know, Wichita State is the only urban serving research university in the state of Kansas, and we really take that mission seriously. Uh, Dr. Muma talks about it a lot, and part of that is to make sure that what we do on this campus impacts the community outside. Wow, that was awesome. That was a great way to kick this off. Um, So I want to dive in just a little bit. Okay, so what is your relationship to Wichita? Where did you grow up? Um, What did you go to school for? That kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. So... I say I'm from Ohio, but I keep getting told I'm not allowed to say that because I only lived there for two years before okay. we moved to uh, Wichita, Kansas area. So I, I grew up in Derby, mm-hmm. uh, got my undergrad degree from Wichita State University, mechanical engineering. Shout out. I did not get summa cum laude. I was only magna cum laude. <laughs> I can still tell you the faculty member who prevented me from doing that, but in order to make sure we don't ruffle any feathers, we'll keep that information close to the best. Uh, but really, it was probably my junior year of undergrad, I started realizing, you know, I'm grade-wise doing real well with this engineering stuff, but am I really going to make a good mechanical engineer? Sure. I think you being an engineer, you probably understand what I, what, I, what I mean when I say this. There are numbers engineers, and then there are real engineers <laughs> yeah, yeah, who like, sure. understand what's really happening. And I certainly did not fall into that category. So I started to 
I would say panic a little bit. And mm-hmm. I, I had called my dad up one, one night and I mentioned, that, you know, I don't know if this engineering stuff is for me. And he, do, he did what every good parent should do. He immediately goes, we paid a lot of money for you to be going to school. What do you mean? Uh, but then he gave me some advice. He, he kind of helped me think through it, and he threw out the notion of going to law school to become a patent attorney. I didn't even know what a patent was, I don't think, at the time. Right. Uh, but I really took that to heart, and I decided, what the hell, we'll give it a go. And so I went to law school at SLU Law, St. Louis University School of Law. I like to say it's the more important law school in St. Louis. <laughs> There's this other one called Wash U that some people may have mm, heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but SLU is definitely the way to go. Uh, went to SLU Law, private practice in St. Louis and Houston for a while. And I got a call one day saying, hey, do you want to come back to Wichita State and run the tech transfer office? I'll be honest, my immediate reaction was not just no. It was probably a hell no because it just didn't fit into where I was going with my career. Uh sure. I was an associate at the law firm at the time, but I was definitely a rising associate, and I think I was on a really nice partnership-style track. But, you know, I really thought it over a little bit, thought about my family being here and from here, and we decided I decided that at that point it would be a good opportunity for us to move back to Wichita and still be able to do uh, intellectual property, which is something I've really kind of embraced since, sure. I, since I went through law school. That's really interesting. I know <clears throat> I was also a mechanical engineering grad from Wichita State, and so I was here 2011 to 2015. Um, and I don't know if it was maybe just when I was here or I don't know, just the innovation in Wichita is different today than it was then. But it was like we were always trying to think of ideas, but like we didn't know what to do with it. We didn't even know who to talk to about it, that kind of thing. So like we worked on senior design and like our my project actually ended up they were working on a patent for it, but it was like through the school and stuff, um, a specific faculty member on campus, but it's like, that wasn't really like thrown around a lot. So it's interesting that that's the direction you went. Yeah. I mean, innovation here at Wichita State is really, and there's no way of couching it. It has taken off and mm-hmm. everything that's happening on the innovation campus in the last five years, this is not the same campus that I graduated from by any means. Yeah. And I mean, you graduated after me and it's not the same campus that no. you graduated. I, from. I just missed the engineering building. So, <laughs> And I think we are probably three years away from saying this exact same comment again of, oh my God, I don't even recognize where this university has right. gone. And it's really because of the innovative spirit and this idea that we want to continue to push the boundaries and expand. And, you know, Dr. Muma takes it to heart. Dr. Tomlin takes it to heart. They, they really, Tanya Witherspoon takes it to heart. Those are some huge thought leaders at this campus that realize that we need to continue to push the boundaries if we're going to really make innovation a go here in the community of Wichita. Yeah, for sure. Um, So what does your day-to-day look like as that long title that you mentioned a few minutes ago? So my day-to-day is pretty, every day is a little bit different. It's it's not a mundane task. It's uh, some days we have to do some down and dirty work on the on the intellectual property side with regards to making sure patent applications are getting filed, we're responding to office actions, making sure we're moving uh, any potential license agreements down the pathway. That's certainly one avenue. But then, you know, we're constantly getting involved with faculty and staff and students and just talking with them because the reality is we in the Office of Tech Transfer and Commercialization, what we cannot become is a hindrance. We cannot become a pain in the butt. Because if we become that, then people don't want to interact with us. So what we really have to struggle, what we really have to push for, is to make sure that we're always a value add. And so when you start talking, I've learned this very early on, when you start talking with certain individuals, you'll realize 
they are not going the right route down something with regard to intellectual property. They mm-hmm. may be hurting their rights, for example. Right. You know, from my background, the immediate thing I want to do is yell at them to stop doing what you're doing, <laughs> wait for me to assess the situation, and tell you how to proceed. Gotcha. What I've learned very quickly is that is a bad move from an office of tech transfer and commercialization standpoint. Right. Stopping is never the right move in innovation. You always have to be pushing forward. And so the ability to quickly assess and then provide value and then try to help navigate to get on the right pathway is really what I've realized that we need to take the office towards rather than trying to stopgate everything let us align everything in perfect order and then move forward. It just doesn't work that way. So sure. the mundane stuff, interacting with faculty, staff, and uh, students, getting to see some of the labs. I go through the labs quite a bit because that's where the innovation, that's where the technology is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, the National Institute for Aviation Research is, you know, the only way I think you can describe it is remarkable. And what I've realized is the more companies we bring to Wichita, to see what's going on at Wichita State University and to see inside these NIAR labs, we always get the same uh, reaction from them, at least in my interaction with them. It's always been the same. What the hell is this doing in Wichita, Kansas? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. this, we have something here that is remarkable. We have something here that is so forward thinking with these labs and everything. And the intelligence level of the people surrounding this, I mean, just a quick example. in the environmental test lab, the, the former director of the environmental test lab, Billy Martin, lives in Derby, Kansas. Actually, he just recently moved. But basically, let's just say lives <laughs> in Derby, Kansas. Uh, one of the leading lightning experts in the world, in the world, lives right here. And that's just one example. And you can just go down the line that we have this talent base. We have to find a way to activate this with the entrepreneurial and innovative community, but from a subject matter expert standpoint, we have something in Wichita that I don't think any other place has, including, I'm gonna use the, the, the including the Silicon Valley out, out in California. Mm-hmm. Certainly they're more advanced in SaaS and other elements sure. like that, but we have something with materials, mm-hmm. uh, with aviation, with manufacturing that simply does not exist other places. and. The question really becomes on those of us in the entrepreneurial and innovative ecosystem is how are we going to capitalize on this and actually help move things forward rather than kind of stagnating? Because you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards, but I promise you, you're never just sitting still. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you gave some examples because I was going to ask, like, okay, I understand we're innovating. We have the innovation campus, but what does that actually mean? And so the aviation, the materials, all those different things. And it's also happening on... With, with some of the faculty members, too, I want to stress that. There's a, there's a faculty member at Wichita State University, Darren Dufresne, who has been working with one of his grad students who's now in Florida, uh, Aaron Rodriguez, and they're trying to find a way to enable blind and visually impaired individuals be able to interact with comic books and mm. other uh, largely visual texts or largely visual images the same way a sighted person would. And it's amazing how far Darren and Aaron have taken this project and they're still pushing forward. And they've formed a company called Visling LLC and they're out there trying to get grants and they're out there talking to developers to figure out how to make this technology work. That's all happening, you know, 
out of an English professor. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in a degrading manner. What I, what, what I mean by that is it's the innovation spirit is here. We just have to find a way to continue to assist and propel it forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of our other, one of my other favorite examples is David Hunsinger. He, he's a, he plays the trumpet. He's a trumpet professor here at Wichita State University. He had a problem with the slide valve. I don't even know what a slide valve is. I had to go look it up because I am not musically inclined. Uh, but he had a problem with the slide valve, and he figured out a way to 3D print something up, and now he's selling it. Is it a multi-million dollar product? No. But we don't always have to be striving for multi-million dollar projects. We have to find a way when somebody has an innovative idea, what are we going to do to help that person move it forward? And so Dr. Hunsinker was able to connect with uh, some of the NIAR labs. He did some additive manufacturing. Now he prints those at his house on his own. He has his own company, and they're, they're, he's moving that forward. And so these are just a few disparate examples. We need more of that, and we should have more of that. And I think we are on the pathway to doing that, but we really just have to continue to think, what can we do to assist without overrunning? And so at the end of the day, these individuals are going to do the work. We just got to make sure that when they need a connection, we're there to help make that connection for them. When they need a little bit of advice, we're there to move them to an area where they can get that advice. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually, I was at Startup Week. I didn't get to make it to a whole lot of it, but I saw the Visling presentation and that was, it was super cool. It was very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm going to completely interrupt you here. No, please keep going. At this point, I'm just doing my own interview. Keep going. Myself. This is awesome. Uh, Makes my life easy. <laughs> but, I mean, at that same event was Madeline Shanka and Yo, Kyle Monero awesome. with yeah, Co-Immunity, yeah. two Wichita State students. Uh, I, I think Kyle's graduated. An engineering mm-hmm. student, mm-hmm. and uh, I, Maddie has told me at least a thousand times what her degree is, but I forget. But uh, <laughs> look at what they're doing, too. They are trying to address chronic illnesses, and they're trying to do it from a nonprofit and a for-profit standpoint. They have this idea, and they're pushing it forward. It's up to us to help make those connections for them, but they're going to do the work. And I know they just recently presented up at a, up at UMKC's whiteboard to boardroom uh, presentation. It was virtual, but they just recently presented there demonstrating what their technology mm-hmm. is and where they're moving with that. But, I mean, these are exciting things that are happening, and we need to continue to see more and more of it. I'm, an, another student that's involved in a lot of this is a student that works in my office, Jacob O'Connor, is doing – a lot of exciting things and he's connected with people down at Groover Labs who you know have kind of been there done it before or still actively doing it and so he's able to lean on them and get that mentorship advice and that's really if if you ask me what's one thing that we need in this Wichita community more of it's connecting people to mentors and we've Mm -hmm. got to find a way to open up our own Rolodexes and connect people and let them take it where it goes but it's it's just Tanya always tells me, she drills this into me, it's a scarcity mindset is what will kill innovation. You have to have an abundance mindset. There is not a limited pie and we're all grabbing for pieces of that pie. We can grow this pie bigger. And so don't be afraid to throw something over to someone else with the thought of, oh, but I'm going to lose control over it. That's, that's not the right mindset when you're trying to build this innovation ecosystem. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if you follow... I mean, you're in the startup ecosystem, obviously, but like the, the greater ecosystem with everything else. But Naval Ravikant talks a lot about how it's not a zero sum game. Like mm-hmm. just because, yeah, just because one building is built doesn't mean you tear down the rest of the buildings. It means all the buildings can be taller Correct. or they can build on top of each other. Um, but so you gave a lot of examples. So can you kind of walk through, I don't know 
which of those you actually did help with. But if you were to, like the Visling or um, I, I think Maddie, you know pretty well, um, how do you help those people? What does that actually look like? Obviously, like the connections and like the patent stuff, but what does that actually look like? Yeah, so, so I, I certainly don't pretend to have all the answers. And, you know, my role, what I try to do is just help guide and assist and connect. So, you know, for example, let's take Maddie. So Maddie has been really trying to push co-immunity. And so she went through the e-launch program. And when she was done with the e-launch program, she kind of came to me and said, okay, what next? What do I do now? And so I said, well, uh, why don't we start connecting you with some other people in the, in the ecosystem who are not part of e-launch anymore and try to help build that out a little bit. And so I know I, I connected her with, uh, with, for example, Jim Baxendale as part of the whiteboard to boardroom she just presented, I just made that connection and then I back out yeah. because I don't need to be involved. I just need to make the connection. Right. Now, I so Maddie met with me, I swear, we met what seems like every single week for at least <laughs> one to two hours. We met and we talked through it and we pushed through it. And there was a point when I told her, I said, Maddie, I can't help you anymore. Like you're you're reaching areas that I don't have any knowledge to give right. you. But what I will promise you I will do is I will go find somebody to connect you with and then you go and you continue to work with them. So she's part of, there's a, uh, Innisphere Ventures is an accelerator program based out of Colorado Springs mm -hmm. in Colorado. Mike Freeman is who runs that program. He's kind of, we've started to pull him in. Wichita State is partnering with him on a few things. I, I connected Maddie with them and I said, Maddie, go go there. Mike knows what he's doing. Innisphere Ventures knows what he, what they're doing. And so she's part of that. It's a virtual cohort. That's one of the, the positives out of the pandemic, right, is the virtual aspect. Yeah. So she's part of that cohort. She's getting mentoring and, and training that there's no way I could have offered her. And she's getting it from people who have been there and done that and who, who know how to make sure she's moving in the right direction. And that's really what is the secret to Silicon Valley? It's the fact that when somebody has an idea and they go to someone else, if that someone else doesn't know how to help, they don't just say, oh, I just can't help. Right. They connect them with somebody else. And then you get this, it's like the neurons in your brain firing, like it doesn't take forever for an idea to transmit and for help to sur suddenly surround an individual. One of the issues we have in Wichita is it takes a while to get help to surround that individual. We have to continue to work on that if we're going to improve in these areas. Yeah, for sure. I think it's kind of like the the PayPal mafia, right? Like Correct. Peter Thiel or Elon and all those guys. And I don't even remember the other guys' names, but they're all like billionaires too. Um, but just they go, they Wasn't start. David, other, I think David, David Sachs, Sachs, David Sachs is one of them. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like they all get their funds. They can help each other. They're like, hey, we got this idea. Yeah. Like you said, just passing that information along. So it's like, what does that look like in Wichita then? How do we, how do we spur that on and continue to so, speed it up, I guess? Yeah, so I think, you know, again, this is just my own personal opinion, but the way I think it looks like in Wichita is not just isolating Wichita. It's, we don't have enough density to isolate Wichita. I mean, that's one of the things that we, we all kind of like about the Midwest too, is we have our nice space and our yeah. areas, but with that means you don't have the same people density. Yeah. So how do we break that down? It's that we stop looking at it as Wichita. I mean, Wichita State, for example, has done a great job with the 35 corridor and the Shocker City Partnership, bringing in people from Houston and from Tulsa sure. and from other cities. That's what this looks like. We have to connect our entrepreneurs with somebody in Kansas City. We have to connect our entrepreneurs with somebody in St. Louis. These areas are less than six hours away to drive. St. Louis is six and a half, and if you go a little quickly, you can make it an under six. Uh, <laughs> That is what this looks like. 
because when you start to connect all of these dots together and form not just Wichita, but an entire ecosystem. I mean, up in Nebraska, Omaha is another part yeah. of it. Tom Chapman uh, is an individual from Omaha who, who comes down to Wichita quite frequently. Is trying to he worked with Greater Wichita Partnership to evaluate our ecosystem and everything like that. So that is what this looks like. We have to start making more connections. Yeah. We when you have somebody you can connect them with, you make that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard the term. I definitely did not come up with this. I heard it somewhere, but the the Silicon Prairie. We almost need to like brand it as something different, yeah. competing against the Silicon Valley. Um, so somebody has an idea, whether it's a student. Um, I guess one aspect I wanted to get into. This isn't just students you work with, correct? You lo- you work with community, and what does that relationship look like? Yeah, so we're willing to help anyone. Uh, now I, you know. Being part of the university, we have to be mindful of our time and our resources. Yeah. But one of the benefits of being at the university is one of our missions is to serve the community. Mm-hmm. So serving the greater Wichita community enables me and my team to meet with folks who have ideas and find ways to help them advance it. Now, we can't give legal advice. Obviously, we're not a law firm. Just because I happen to have a legal background doesn't mean that we can give legal advice. And so I'm always very careful about that to explain you know, this is some general advice, but what I can do is I can, if somebody has an idea, I can kind of walk them through and say, you are at the point you really need to be thinking about IP protection, filing a patent application, if that makes sense. Or, you know, a lot of people will tell you to go file a utility on this. You should probably be thinking about design on this type aspect because here's mm-hmm. some benefits of that. So yeah. there's those elements that we can do with working with the community. The, the part that I'm still struggling with is how we reach all the people that need help. There are some it always amazes me when you see suddenly a successful or, or, or a company moving forward or startup come out of nowhere, and we all kind of look around like, how were we not around to help them more? And they had to get to where they were without us being a part of it. Like, yeah. That, to me, is a failing on us. Now, mm-hmm. there's always going to be things that pop up right. and you have no control over, but we have to be a value add. Yeah. And we are not entitled for people to come to us asking for help. We have to show that we will give you value right. if you come to ask for help from us. And that's something that I think we always have to keep in, in the forefront of our mind. It's something I constantly try to remind myself of is when something happens and I wasn't aware of it, human reaction first is, well, what the heck? Why, right. why wouldn't they have involved me? I mean, this is right up my alley. This is, But then I always try to stop that mindset. And the reality is maybe I wasn't involved because I'm not connected enough with that group. So how do I get better connected with that group so that way next time I can be a value add during the process? You should never look at something that has occurred and say, that shouldn't have happened because I wasn't involved. If it was a great event and you weren't involved, you should look at it and say, how can I make sure that they know that I am wanting to be a part and wanting to be a value add? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I, I've been in the, so obviously with Wichita Life stuff, been in the ecosystem a little bit. So I've got to interview some awesome people like Jason Taves or Steven Werner. Yep. Um, and then like Trevor Crotz, I'm meaning to interview. And some of those people, um, like Jocelyn, they all have these you awesome got, companies. You got to get Trevor. Yeah. Yes, He's I know. I need to. He, he was giving me crap at the startup <laughs> week. I need to get out very soon. Um, but it's I think something that I've noticed with all of those guys or girls is that they are like so willing to help. But I think it's just a matter of like, yeah, like you said, like connecting, like if people don't know they're there to help them, like as a mentor, or they don't know you're here to help with kind of your expertise. It's like, how do we get that more out there? And obviously this is one aspect of it, but it's like, how do we continue to like connect that, especially yeah. connecting the mentors to like the students or the people Correct. that are really innovating? Do not operate in a vacuum. Operating in a vacuum, building something in a vacuum, 
building it so it's going to be immaculate and just thinking that people are going to fall from the sky wanting to come to it is a surefire way to spend a lot of time and effort and provide no value add. So Mm -hmm. getting things out there as quickly as possible is as important for us at -hmm. Wichita State as as it is for entrepreneurs to realize that they can't just continually iterate, they got to get their first prototype out there. Yeah, yeah. So it goes sure. both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, let's go back one step. So if a student or a community member like myself comes to you, um, and let's say, I guess maybe for the students, if you help them with the IP stuff, with the patent applications or whatever like that, what does that relationship look like? Okay, so you're commercializing an idea or a patent type deal. I feel like I've read this at some point in the past, but like, is there a cut to the school, cut to them? What does that breakdown look like? Yeah, so that's a good question. If, if the individual is a faculty member or a staff member of Wichita State University, then the intellectual property is owned by the university, and the university has, I call it a waterfall, where if licensing revenues are ever generated through a commercialization deal, a portion of it goes back to the contributor. Wichita State's very favorable. 50% goes back to wow, the contributor. Wow, that, that is nice, yeah. Which is substantially higher than most universities. Most universities are around a third. Okay. So 50% goes back to the individual, 25% would go to that individual's college and then the, sure. or, or department, and then the other 25% supports what we do in tech transfer and nice. commercialization. If it's a student, the student owns their own intellectual property, and the university is not trying to find our way to elbow in and get a cut. That's not what we're here for. We're here to just help the student or the community member. We're not trying to elbow in and try to find a way to get a cut. We have to be mindful of our resources, but we also have to realize that that this is part of our mission is to help these folks. And so... You know, again, goes back to we're not a law firm. I can't write the patent application for you. I can't file the patent application. Sure. But I can connect you with some different attorneys. Uh, I can connect you with some different folks who, you know, then we can call up and say, hey, come on, really help them out. And we can yeah. lean on them. Uh, the attorneys out there don't like to hear me say this. <laughs> lean on them to keep their fees as low as possible. Sure. But one of the ways that Wichita State has tried to address this, because I don't know if you know this, uh, in Wichita, you cannot find a patent practitioner with a search warrant. I mean, (laughs) it's just a very difficult thing to do. There's only eight registered patent practitioners in the entire city of Wichita, Kansas. I am one of them, a student of ours that just graduated through our Gateway to IP program here at Wichita State. She is one of them, and she now works as a patent agent at a local law firm. Mm -hmm. But... Most of the other ones are in-house, so I'm in-house. Sure, uh, sure. So there's not a lot of private practitioners out there. Put this into perspective. We have eight in the entire city of Wichita, Kansas. The law firm that I worked at in St. Louis had 20 on a floor. Wow, wow. We are home to some very large companies here in Wichita, and we only have eight registered patent practitioners, which means our IPIQ of this city is way too low. We need to raise our IPIQ. And one of the ways that we're trying to do that at Wichita State is that gateway to IP program. So I have students who all have a hard science undergrad, which means they're eligible to sit for the patent bar upon graduation from undergrad. They can sit for the patent bar. Interesting. If they pass the patent bar, they become a patent agent. So they are a patent practitioner, a patent agent at that point. They can then go to law school if they want, or they can remain a patent agent and engage in patent prosecution. And prosecution is the process of going to the United States Patent and Trademark Office and saying, hey, I think I got something. Would you be willing to give me a patent on it? That's the patent prosecution process. So the Gateway to IP program, hard science undergrad, that way once they graduate, if they want to, they can sit for the patent bar. And at Wichita State, we go one step further. We're going to help them 
pay for the review course to sit for the patent bar if they're in the program for a certain amount of time because we really need to increase yeah. patent practitioners. We've already put out one, but I want to put out more over the years to come. And so they work directly with registered patent attorneys in other communities. So I connect them with people in St. Louis. I have a student this year who's going down to Houston, working at the law firm that I used to be down in Houston, working there as a summer associate. We make these connections so they, they build their intellectual property IQ while they're still an undergrad. The benefit of all of that is they are better equipped to become a patent practitioner after they graduate from Wichita State University than I was when I graduated from <laughs> law school. Sure. I had never written a patent claim. I had never read a patent claim when I was going into law school. These students have already done that. They understand what a patent looks like. They've done some prior art searching. They understand what claims are, what a detailed description is, what drawings are. They understand the mindset that there is patents, there's copyrights, there's trademarks, there's trade secrets. They all interact in very unique ways. And you got to think about all of it if you're building a strategy for your business to protect your IP. That's all happening at the undergrad level. The program right now is relatively small. I've only got two students in it. I'm hoping to grow it. One of the problems with growing it is it requires that personal touch element. Right. And so as I continue to connect with more and more law firms, I, I connected with a law firm in Pennsylvania recently. I connected with a law firm in Cincinnati recently. I connected with a law firm in Virginia. They're all interested in this. Right. We have, like, there is not enough patent practitioners in the United States, period. There's certainly not enough here. Yeah. So how are we going to help increase that? By creating a program at the undergraduate level, it's, it's really been remarkable to see. I mean, my students love it. They, they yeah, love the awesome. opportunity. I would definitely would have thought about that yeah. if, I, if it was around or if I would have known. You know, that's, that's exactly. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So what are some common mistakes that you see with, I don't know, students or faculty or whoever that's kind of going through this stuff? I, I know you mentioned the approach you don't want to take is telling them, no, stop what you're doing. But what are some what were you telling them to stop doing? You know what I mean? Like, what are those common mistakes? Yeah, so one of the common mistakes that happens a lot with people who are innovating is understanding that threshold of what they can reveal when they're trying to do customer discovery to figure out, am I actually sitting on something I can make money? And then when I don't want to disclose too much because now I start to hurt my intellectual property rights. It is a fine balance uh, as far as figuring that out. So in the United States, we're a first-to-file uh, system when it comes to our intellectual property with patents specifically, mm -hmm. meaning that once you publicly disclose it, you've started a one-year time clock to, to go out and file that patent application on it before your own public disclosure mm -hmm. becomes prior art against it. Right. Plus, if any point that in the time somebody independently comes up with it and files it, even if you came up with it first, if they file their patent application, technically they beat you. So in that sense, it's a race to the patent office in some wow. ways. But one of the things, when it comes to intellectual property is extremely important, but it is not, it is a means to an end. It is not an end unto itself. And mm -hmm. I think too often we make intellectual property an end unto itself. I know certainly as a patent attorney, when I was in private practice, that was my end was to file the patent application. I mean, that's why the company came to me. Right. But in this role, that's not the end. The end is not to just build up IP. The end is to figure out ways that that IP acts as a means to help you get to where you need to go. And so another error I sometimes see is people will rush in and say, I need to file a patent on this immediately. And they give out this idea. And I'm, th I'm, I'm sitting there thinking the whole time, how are you ever going to monetize and make money off of this? And you start asking questions along those lines. And what you find out is 
they think that once they get the patent that they're going to be able to just call some company up and license it. I've been doing tech transfer now for about four years. I promise you, it is not that easy. <laughs> I wish it was, but it's not that easy. You have to find a way of thinking, okay, once I get this piece of paper, which is all a patent is, it's a very expensive piece of paper. Once I get this, what am I going to do with it? If I'm going to go with a licensing strategy, you should start to build out that strategy before you start paying for that very expensive piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So that's another common mistake yeah. is making intellectual property the end rather than a means to the end. Okay, so to extend that a little bit, something I've heard a lot, or I've heard both sides of it, but I think one side is a little heavier, but like ideas are a dime a dozen or like the ideas versus execution. So how would you, you kind of touched on it there, but how do you describe like the ideas versus execution? What where it weighs more heavily, like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think at the early stage point, ideas are a dime a dozen. They're, I mean, it is, I, I agree with that. They really are. And it all is about execution. How are you going to move that idea forward past it being written on a piece of paper, sure. past it being printed on a 3D machine? How are you going to manufacture it? Are you using injection molding? Do you know how much a mold costs in the first place? Like. How are you going to continue to move this forward? Yeah, and it's not a parallel. It's not a. It's not a series of steps. I think everyone wants to think that this game that we call innovation and entrepreneurship is just do this, then this, then this, then this. If it was that easy, it would be just like baking, right? Like right. following your recipe. By definition, that's not innovation. Correct. If there's a <laughs> exactly. So it's really you got to have this. It's like a bunch of random nebulae floating around and you got to find out how you navigate through these and connect it through while other things are being sustained at the same point so right. but to your specific question about technology versus uh execution or idea versus execution which matters more i always am going to say at the early stage yeah. execution is all that matters now once you're an established business i i think you evolve and evaluate your strategy and sometimes at that point ideas become more relevant I think it just, it always reminds me of like, I don't know, like an Airbnb or something. You're like, oh, I thought of that three years ago. It's yep. like, okay, so did a hundred thousand other people probably, but right. they didn't execute on it at all. Yeah. And if you, I, do you listen, I don't know if you listen to how I built this. I'm oh yeah, I love how I built podcasts. this. Oh yeah. So yeah. I've, have you listened to the Airbnb one on how yeah. I built this? Yeah. It's remarkable. It was not a scalable business. They did not build a scalable business. They were individually going around personally taking the pictures because they realized that Crappy pictures meant nobody right, wanted to stay right. there. But then once they figured out execution-wise and how they – then they start to translate it. Yeah. So that's another big thing I think people mistake is they immediately just want to go to how do I build this enormous scalable business? you got to have the, the ability to get there. you got to have a market out there for it. But you also have to realize i got to start small right. and incrementally get to where I need to go. For sure. Um, shift gears just a little bit. Um, I know you guys, I, I think it's under your branch, but the shock talk podcast. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, so the shock talk podcast is now it, we, we merged it with the alumni association okay. because they were also doing a podcast and we thought, you know, why not just have an innovator series underneath it? So their podcast is now called the shock talk podcast, cool. but really I, I gotta be completely honest where, where the entire podcast idea came out of was, I, I mentioned Jacob O'Connor earlier. It was out of Jacob O'Connor because he had a podcast coming to Wichita State University called Venture Mentality. Oh, cool. And so he's Jacob's from the St. Louis, Missouri area. He's actually from Illinois, Columbia, Illinois, which is just outside of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And he came in and he was talking to me about his podcast. And I go, I want to do a podcast. Uh, so let's, let's do a podcast here with local folks. Yeah. Because Jacob had already, as a high school student, 
Jacob had interviewed Mark Randolph, who is in some ways arguably the real founder of Netflix before oh, wow. it transferred over. Wow. He'd interviewed professional athletes. Yeah. As a high school student, he had interviewed, I, I think he interviewed Jay Billis. That's really cool. He, and so I'm just, I'm looking at, I, I'll never forget, I'm, he's an 18-year-old kid, and I'm like, my God, he's in inter- Look at all these po- Yeah. So I just told him, I said, I'm going to hire you. You're going to do a podcast. Are you cool with that? And he goes, yeah, sure. That's awesome. And so I, I hired him, and we started making a podcast. He kept wanting to be a, me to be a co-host on it, and, and so I did that for a few episodes. But in, in reality, it, it was just really me trying to get airtime, putting myself sure. out there. <laughs> so I realized it wasn't being a value add, but he is – Jacob has been had an opportunity to interview some amazing people here. I mean, uh, let's see. He interviewed Roy Moy the Third. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do yeah, you, are yeah. you familiar with Roy? Yeah, I met him in the dorms my freshman okay. year. Okay, so yeah, Roy is remarkable it's individual. Like the Renaissance man. His ability to sing like yeah. just puts me to shame. He, uh, Jacob's interviewed Christina Long. Do you know Christina? Mm-hmm. Another huge shaker and mover in everything that we're doing here. He's interviewed uh, Luke Luttrell, Social Tap, here on campus. Luke also does stuff with signage here in town. He's a serial entrepreneur. He, you know, you can go and look, listen to all of them, but what I'm trying to get across is Jacob is who, you know, he was given an ability, a platform. I hired him, mm-hmm. but I told him, you go do it, dude. And then so one of the points he came to me with was, Rob, I need help with introductions. So this goes back to where Perfect, we started yeah. on this whole thing. Yeah. I said, all right, we'll get you introductions. And so everybody he's, in, he's interviewed we had some way of getting him an introduction to. Either I had a way, or I reached out to a different faculty member. I know Don Hackett connected us with uh, Susan Brandis. I think right, that's who right. made that connection for us. So that's just another example. So the Shock Talk podcast is another example of where you just made a connection, and then I step out. I'm not even really involved in it right. anymore. Yeah, I that's just, awesome. I let it run. Uh, the, the Alumni Association, uh, Connie over at the Alumni Association is doing a really good job. Her and Connor and Jacob are mm-hmm. they continue to make it go, and I know they're trying to interview additional interview additional people uh, as well. So yeah. it's 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 fun to see because. In the Midwest, we are really bad about talking about successful people. Yeah, it's kind of like I've the, heard multiple the times humble element of us. We don't want to go out and – but some of the people that we have in our community are freaking amazing. Yeah, And we 100%. want to hear their story. We need to hear their story to encourage other people to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. A big reason why I started this podcast. I think it's like the same mission, but it's awesome, his point of view, and that's I, I love that. Um, so I'm gonna mix it up a little bit. We have some kind of more rapid fire questions, a little more general assies to okay. everybody. Um, but what is something you often recommend to people? It can be books, podcasts, movie. You mentioned how I built this. Um, so I'm a big book reader and podcast li- podcast listener. So books and podcasts. And so I ran across this podcast. I actually pay for one podcast. Wow. It's called I think it's called Founders, and okay. it's the Misfit Feed. And it's a guy who reads books. Mm-hmm. And then he does an hour and a half to two hour podcast on him. And what I have found is I listen to it. And I, sometimes I'll listen to these two or three times. And then I go buy the book or check out the book from the library and I read it. And I get so much more out of the book because yeah. it's not new to me. Yeah. But it, so he's recommended some amazing books I've read off of that. So the Founders Podcast is one that I highly recommend. Okay. I'm going to look it it's up. It's only like five bucks a month. I'm too, not familiar with that. So, so I'm going to look that up for sure. Um, what is the favorite failure in your life or your career or anything like that? So I guess my favorite failure has to be my failure of becoming a mechanical engineer. That's what led me to going to intellectual property law. And it's what it's enabled me to come back to Wichita and really try to help with the innovation ecosystem. Something I really love to do. I don't, 
I always say, you know, I do get paid, but I'm not convinced that I wouldn't continue to do this if they stopped paying me because sure. it's so much fun. I enjoy coming to work every day to do this. Right. Absolutely. Um, what is your definition of success? Oh, that's it. That's a good question because <laughs> everyone wants to say success is this big thing. Uh, I think that the, my definition of success is is understanding when you've achieved a goal or when you need to pivot to achieve a different goal would be my definition of success. So oftentimes reaching a failure can ultimately become a success. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, he Great talks book. about how he turns from a red light to a green light. First of all, that man's life. No, I mean, kidding. we I all think we know Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Read the book, Green Lights, and you will come to know Matthew McConaughey. He's a remarkable individual. But like the red light to green light aspect is, is what he hones in yeah. on that book. And so a lot of times a failure, it's hard to call a failure success. Yeah. But if you do the right steps afterwards and look back on it, that failure could in fact be a success. Yeah, I love that. I agree 100%. Um, tell me about a life motto that you live by or what is some of the best advice you've received? <laughs> so a life motto I live by is YOLO. You only live once. Uh, so make sure whatever you do is fun. Yeah. Don't get too serious with yourself and always realize to continue to move forward. And you know, it, you just gotta not get too serious with yourself. You gotta be able to mm -hmm. joke to yourself and laugh at yourself. Yeah, definitely. What is a habit that you've developed over the past few years that's most improved your life? Interesting question. Uh, <laughs> he did not give me the questions ahead of time. I did not. So now I have to I'm really surprised by how quick you answered some of those other ones. I usually stump some people with those other ones. So, so uh, one thing I guess I've developed, and you know, I got to credit like somebody like a Tanya Witherspoon with doing this, is that scarcity versus abundance mindset. I, I would say I'm starting to develop better the understanding that when something happens and I'm not involved and when something happens and I'm not involved that it's not like I should look at it with a jealousy feeling or anything like that. Or I should have like, what the heck, why wasn't I involved? I really am trying to avoid that. It's mm -hmm. human nature. We all go through that, I think, but I'm really trying to look at it. That's great because the reality is there is only 24 hours in a day. No matter how many times you try to solve that problem, you're never going to increase the number of hours in a day. And the amount of work that we have to do here in the Wichita community, mm -hmm. we all could pitch in for 24 hours a day and we still would have work to do. We, were, we are always going to be growing and moving in a positive direction, hopefully, but we need more people involved. And so one thing I'm developing and trying to continue to develop is the understanding that just because I'm not involved doesn't mean it's not a bad thing. It just means that I got to realize that some things have to take place without me personally being involved in me trying to control everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is your favorite part of Wichita or what's a hidden gem in Wichita? Oh, so a hidden gem in Wichita. So I have a six-year-old son uh, and him and I recently have started going to the arcade. Yeah. I don't know if you've been to the arcade. I actually haven't been. I've been wanting to go, but I've heard it's awesome. It is really fun. I will tell you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles games is, is, Lincoln, are the best. is Lincoln's favorite. But I don't think, so the, if, for those of you who haven't been to the arcade, you, it's just all these amazing old machines, games that you can play, and then they have pinball machines. But the, the, the arcade games themselves are set so you don't have to put coins in. So you pay a fee to get in, and then you play unlimited lives. And so <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a hell of a lot easier when when you die, you can just keep <laughs> kicking the button to come back alive. Yeah. So you can beat the game, people. Trust me, there's a way to beat the game. At the arcade. <laughs> Correct, at the arcade. But like, so I feel like in some ways, 
we're not like with Lincoln. I'm not teaching him that adversity <laughs> aspect of no, dude. It's not really this easy, but he's really happy when he's playing it. So that that's a positive. But uh, <laughs> so to, to counterbalance the fact that he can easily you know beat Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles whenever he wants. I'm trying to convince him to become a Cincinnati Bengals fan because ah, that letdown suffer. that you have every year builds character. So, sure. you know, we're trying to balance it out. That's all right. I'm a Joe Burrow fan, so that's all right. <laughs> I'm rooting for him. Um, is there anything you wish Wichita had that it doesn't, or what would you improve about Wichita? And we touched on some of the startup things, but what, what would you improve about Wichita? Or you can say Cheesecake Factory like half the other guests. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, there there is definitely some things that I would like to see more of in Wichita. Uh, I wish we had, and I, I don't want to get weighed into a local politics issue or anything like that, <laughs> but I, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid that. I'm just like, the river is something that I wish we could find a way to activate better. And I realize that's an incredibly complex, challenging statement. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for anything with that statement. I'm just saying that having been, I, it's kind of like even in St. Louis, mm-hmm. they haven't activated that river that much either. Right. And so but then you go to places like Tulsa is kind of really activating yeah. that. And so it, it, I would like to see that more. I, I think that would be uh, something that would help draw more people here, would help encourage more people. But at the same time, you know, I will say that we are improving a lot of things. We're, I'm seeing more playgrounds pop up and mm-hmm. kids playing at these playgrounds, which is awesome. I'm seeing more people going back downtown. Yeah. I'm seeing more breweries which is very yeah. important because yeah. i like beer absolutely so like all of these things i i don't want to give the impression that wichita's not improving we definitely are but there are still always yeah. going to be areas for improvement yeah for sure tear it down by the way tear it down <laughs> i'm just kidding but i i am an advocate of tearing it down i think i think there's just so much space there that i think the thing that holds people back is nostalgia as they say nostalgia is a hell of a drug um but my brother's girlfriend is from france and they were in town I think it was last year when we were walking down by the river and I was like okay as an outsider that's not even American what do you think of Century 2 and she said it's ugly so I'm like okay there there's our answer like it's the I think it's the older generation I think a lot of the younger people don't really care like the Gen Z's the younger millennials were just like okay let's just tear it down move on we can build something cool build maybe a uh, something that resembles it so for the nostalgia's sake, but I don't know. You don't have to answer that for your sake, but... <laughs> no, I, I think one thing that we have to think through and how to do, I'm, I'm not speaking specifically on that topic, but just in general, is there is a, a there is real value in finding ways for younger folks like you and me. Uh, I, I I guess I'm, I'm 32, so I still throw myself in the younger crowd. I'm uh, almost but, 30. So, okay. <laughs> so there's, there's opportunities for younger folks like us to figure out how to interact with people who have been there and done that before. And they may be a little more set in their ways, but yeah. there's there's some real value that if we can figure out how to connect these Absolutely, dots properly. Yeah. I mean, because they have – you and I have – thoughts and everything but they have ways of getting thoughts done type things so that we get there's got to give that pull push and pull from that i agree absolutely um last question what does wichita mean to you yeah that's a (laughs) so that is a that's a that's the best question that you've asked so far uh so you know i've never been one who's really like this huge wichita pride type individual i didn't grow up that way or anything but having moved away and come back i think I've changed my mindset on that a little bit. You know, I really think, to me, Wichita is this amazing community that's close-knit and tight and has history with it from entrepreneurialism and everything else. And we, it's just, we are at this cusp of moving Wichita forward and 
so to me, what does Wichita mean? It's just this huge opportunity to continue to grow like family and community in a way that just doesn't happen in other areas as much in the United States. And, you know, everybody knows what they're used to. But I will say, like, when I went to St. Louis or I went to Houston, I just didn't feel as connected. Mm -hmm. But I made some wonderful friends. And, I mean, there were some amazing people. Some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life were in the Houston area. I mean, just so willing to outreach and do anything for you but there was still something like just missing mm -hmm. and so to me wichita fills that missing element but it's really on us to figure out how we can continue to promote this community in a way that continues to add to it because the reality is we are either going to move forward or going to move backwards we're not going to stay still and right now we need to continue to import talent so we need to make this a place that when people come visit they say something special is going on here, and I want to be a part of it. Yeah, I agree 100%. Rob, thanks for coming on. This was fun. I'm excited yeah, awesome. to talk soon, just so, I mean, every year or something, so we can keep seeing what the updates are with the school, with innovation, with IP, tech transfer, and everything. Um, where can people connect with you, find more about you, or if they want to get in touch with you, where can people find you? Yeah, so my email address is rob.gerlock at wichita.edu. And, uh, you know, I'm very open. Once somebody connects with me, I'm happy to give out my cell phone number and text with people and, and try to help in any way I can. That's probably the best way to reach me is by mm -hmm. shooting me an email. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I try to stay heavy on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I don't have a Facebook. As shocking as that is, I don't have a <laughs> Facebook. Oh, I don't have a meta either. Uh, <laughs> You're falling behind. <laughs> so I'm really, I'm just way behind, folks. I, but I do have a LinkedIn, uh, and I stay pretty active on that. So follow me on LinkedIn as well, and I try to make sure I spread opportunities on LinkedIn and other things like that. Perfect. I will link all those up. But thanks again, Rob. Thanks, Liam. Thank you again to everyone that listened to this episode of the Wichita Life Podcast. If you enjoyed, please rate and review our podcast on whatever app you use. If you have any recommendations, please reach out at wichitalifeict at gmail.com. Thanks again.